You're listening to an audio message from Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. For more information, visit our website at harvestgranger.org. Let me invite you to open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to be spending our time there this morning. Well, as Pastor Trent shared, my name is Ben. We're planning a a campus in Elkhart County. Uh, Just a little update, we're at 50 people now, a little over 50, and we're looking to grow that to 100. So if you live out in the Elkhart County area, stop coming to church here, okay? I'm just kidding. Uh, It's not launched yet, but come join us Sunday nights. We're going to kick things back up again. We meet at 6 p.m. Sunday night, starting next week again uh, at Jefferson Elementary in Goshen, and we appreciate your prayers as we continue to put a team together uh, of people and we're hoping to launch in the next few months here. So exciting things. Well, isn't this the best time of the year, really? Uh, You know what I mean by that? It's the time of the year where we fill our house full of junk food and then we frantically eat it all so that we can go on a diet in the new year, right? Is that what you guys do? Uh, Well, I love this time. How many of you are in the process or you've already made New Year's resolutions? You guys do that? Uh, So I've made one. You guys want to hear what mine is? Okay, good, because I'm going to tell you anyway. Uh, I'm focusing on one word this year, the, the word discipline. Because uh, here's the reality. My kids need more discipline. I mean, just kidding. The truth is, I need more discipline in my life. And so I want to focus my attention on being disciplined in several different areas. But don't you kind of appreciate this time of year? Uh, it's, a, it's just a, a time to reset. Like some of you are probably like, oh, praise the Lord, 2018 is almost over with. I can't wait to move on to the next year. And so we have this opportunity to kind of reflect and give praise back to God for the things that he's done, but also put our attention to what can I do better for the new year? And so what I want to give to you this morning out of Ephesians 4 are five practices for the new year. And so why don't you join me in the text? I'm going to start reading Ephesians 4, chapter 4, verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off the old self, which belongs to your former way of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. 
And so before we get into these practices, uh, there's a couple different people that we see in this text that Paul introduces us to. And we're going to call these the old man and the new man. And we're going to kind of look at this passage to see what he has to say about these two different people. So Paul here, the author, uh, who is he talking to? Uh, The group of people he's talking to are saints in Ephesus, so these are believers in Christ, professing followers of Jesus, and he has this strong appeal to start off with. He says this, I testify in the Lord. Uh, What he's saying is, I come in the name of Jesus, I come in the name of the Lord, I come with authority, you need to listen because if Jesus was here, uh, he would be saying the same thing to you. And so we see here, he starts talking about the old man, and he says this, no longer walk as the Gentiles do. So, so who exactly is he referring to when he says Gentiles? Because that's important for us to know. Like, okay, if we, we need to know who the Gentiles are so we know not to act like them. And so if you were familiar with the Old Testament, here's a little bit of history uh, for you. God chose a group of people. And what, what do we know those people by in the Old Testament? You know, the Israelites, right? That's God's chosen people. And as we move into the New Testament, you, you don't see really Israelites anymore. You see Jews. So God's chosen people are the Jews, and everybody else are, are called Gentiles, Jews and Gentiles. So is what he's saying here that everybody who is a non-Jew is futile in their mind? And it goes to the, is, are we all old men, those of you, us who are not Jewish? Well, we know that's not true because of what happens early in Ephesians. So just turn over to Ephesians 3 with me real quick. Look at verse 6 of chapter 3. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. <laughs> so that's good news for me. Because the the the... the the reality is now that Gentiles can have a place in God's kingdom. And so this isn't referring to a group of people ethnic-wise. Ethnic this is not just all Jewish people. What he's talking about when he says, like the Gentiles, he's talking about every person who has not given their life over to Christ. He's talking about unbelievers, those who have not surrendered their life over to, to, to Jesus. And that's who he's referring to here. And so then he goes on to describe the old man. What does the old man look like exactly? Uh, verse 17 starts it off with us. It says this, no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. So no longer walk in the futility. They, they walk, the old man walks in the futility of his mind. What does that mean? Well, futility is just, he, he walks in worthlessness. Like, what he lives for ultimately has no, uh, has no bearing on eternity. It's, it's uneffective thinking. It's unfruitful thinking. That's the way the old man lives. Uh, occasionally, we watch Jeopardy at our house. You guys ever watch Jeopardy? And, you know, every time I get an answer right, I just stick my chest out and make sure my kids see that I got it right. But the reality is I get like maybe two right a show. You ever wonder how, like what do you have to do to know all these worthless facts? Like they spend hours and hours learning these things. I mean, is this like you're bored and so you take your encyclopedia to the bathroom with you? I don't, I don't, I don't get how they understand this. Uh, I, I looked up some history. You guys have probably heard this guy back in 2000. I can't remember his name. This guy won 74 w- days in a row. Just insane. But really when you think about all those facts that they, they learn on that show, it's, it's futile. It's, it doesn't take you anywhere. It has no practice in eternity, right? We're not going to get to heaven and have a Jeopardy contest to see if we're going to make it into heaven. Praise the Lord for that. It's futile in their thinking. The old man spends time thinking on things that don't really matter when it comes to eternity. 
Here's another description of the old man in verse 18. They are darkened in their understanding. So this sense that they just can't understand, like it's foggy to them. Their, their vision to understand the things of God, they, they can't see through it. Uh, they're blinded by that. Things aren't registering with them. So, so what leads that? To, to what leads them to be darkened in their understanding? Well, verse 18 goes on to say, uh, they, they're alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. So, so the old man is an alien when it comes to the things of the Lord. Alien, I'm not talking about like outer space. I'm talking about like somebody who's from a different place and comes and they just don't feel like they belong. That's the way the old man feels in light of the things of God. Uh, Several years ago, uh, myself along with some friends took a trip to New Orleans. Very interesting place to go. Uh, Interesting things about like all the graves are above ground. I mean, basically it's below sea level there. Uh, and great food there. Uh, and then there's a street, the certain street that I wanted to visit because I heard about it on the news, a uh, street maybe you've heard of it called Bourbon Street. Uh, that should have been enough for me to know. I probably shouldn't go there. <laughs> but I was curious, like what is, the, what is the fuss all about? And so uh, we're walking down Bourbon Street. And have you ever like been somewhere or you've watched maybe a movie or you're part of some discussion where you just kind of feel the darkness? Like it just feels like oppressive to you. Well, that's, that's what Bourbon Street was like. I mean, I saw bars, different kinds of bars that I never knew existed, got invited to these places where I had no desire to go. I felt like an outcast. I felt like an alien. I did not belong on that street. Well, the same is true for the old man when it comes to the things of God. When they enter even to this church, maybe you're here today. Maybe you relate to this old man and you wonder, like, this is crazy. Why do we come here and listen to a guy talk for 40 minutes? And why do we spend all this time praying to somebody that we can't see? That makes no sense at all. And some of you guys actually have the nerve to confess sins to one another. Like, you're confessing your weaknesses. That's, that's weird. They, it's foreign to them. They don't understand. That's the way the old man lives. The things of God are foreign to them. The old man has, has uh, and here's the reason why. So why are the things true about the old man? Uh, why is the old man futile in his thinking, darking, darkened in his understanding, alienated from the life of God? Well, we see that at the end of verse 18 going into 19. It's, it's due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous. They've, they've lost feeling. They don't have feeling Uh, to the things of God. They don't have feeling to even sometimes feel conviction over things they shouldn't do. It's like if you've ever learned to play guitar. Uh, When I first learned how to play guitar, for the first week, every time I, after I was done, my fingers would just hurt so bad. Uh, The reason why is because, you know, the tip of your fingers are pretty, pretty tender. And so as you're pushing down that hard string, it it just rubs your fingers and almost raw if you play long enough. But over a period of time, you develop a callus. Your skin gets hard and you're no longer thinking about the pain on your fingers. You're just thinking about getting your fingers in the right place. And you become insensitive to the, the strings. And that's what happens to the old man. In fact, we are all born like the old man. We are all born hardened and callous to the things of God. It's not our nature to want to do things God's way. We're hardened to that. We're insensitive to that. And so the old man has lost sensitivity to God. But he's, the reality is he's given himself over to a new sensitivity. Look at the end of verse 19. 
He has given himself up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. And so all of a sudden there's this, there's, for, for the unbeliever, there's this unrestraint to do what's wrong. This deep hunger that they run after with, with reckless abandonment. Look at, the, look at the wording there again. He's greedy. Greedy to practice every kind of impurity. The person I think of that reflects this the most, if you've ever seen Lord of the Rings, is Gollum. Right? You got this little creature that at one time looked like a hobbit, but now he looks nothing like it. His resemblance is completely gone. Why? Because he's been, become overtaken by this ring that he found. And then he lost the ring, and this other hobbit picks it up, and, and Gollum finds the ring, and he wants it so bad, and he is greedy to do everything he can to get that ring back. And ultimately, it leads him to his death. Sorry to ruin the movie for you if you haven't seen it yet. But that's what happens, that's what the way the old man is. He's greedy after the things of this world. He has to have it, and he'll do everything he can to get it, and he won't let anybody get in his way. That's the old man. So let me ask you to think on your life. Can you relate to the old man? Maybe that you are the old man right now. Maybe you sit here today and the things of God are foreign to you. The things of God uh, aren't, aren't attractive to you. Maybe some of you, somebody told you years and years ago that, oh, well, you said a prayer, and so you're saved because you said a prayer. But you stand here today and your life makes no difference, it looks no different than what it did before. You may need to repent today and come to Christ. Because here's the reality, for those of us who claim to be followers of Christ, this, is, this isn't what we learned in Jesus. Look at verse 20. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, Basically, what he's saying is, like, this is so foreign to what we know in Jesus. We, some of them walked with him. Some of them saw the way he lived. The, the, Jesus was way different from the world. And he's saying, hey, if you are living differently and you think that's okay, you're living like the old man, then you don't tell me you know Jesus. You don't know Jesus if your life doesn't look different. So what exactly does the new man look like? Verse 22. Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. So he puts off the way he used to live. He's not going to walk in the things that he did before. We, we were all born that way. We're all born like the old man, but when Jesus comes and changes us, he changes our desires, and we want to put off that old man. We don't want to live that way anymore because we know this is not what God has called us to, and honestly, it doesn't bring true, lasting joy to my life. I don't want to be controlled by my sinful desires anymore. And it's important for us to see that. It's important for us to see that. We need to put off the old man. For, uh, the second one here we see in verse 23. To be renewed in the spirits of your minds. The new man is renewed in the spirit of his mind. He is changing the way he thinks. 
So for, for so long, we learn a certain way of, of learning and understanding things. We, or we fill our minds with different things. But when we come to Christ, we realize that our, not, our minds need to be changed. Uh, so recently, uh, I've just really started to get into board games. In fact, I think I'm becoming a board game geek. Anybody out there with me? Uh, you're just afraid to say it. Uh, we got a couple up here, yeah. So this Christmas, I decided to get uh, our kids all new games because I get tired of the old classic games and there's so many good new ones. So we got this game. I don't think it's been around a while, but it's called Labyrinth and it's a tile game and you, you make a path and you, you push tiles to try to get a path to get a treasure. Anyway, uh, I, I taught my, my family how to play it and I'm playing it with our family and it just feels clunky. Like it, something's not right here. And so what do you do when the game's not right? Well, you got to go back to the rule book. And I read the rule book and realized that I had made a rule up on my own. And we were, that's why it didn't work. Well, what did I have to do? I had to renew my mind. I was, I was living one way, but I needed to change the way I was playing the game. I needed to renew the mind. So I went back to the place where I was going to get the information I need. And for us as believers, we have God's word. He's given us this book not to restrain us. No, he's given us his book to give us life. There is life in here. There's Jesus in here. This is how we learn about our great Savior. This is how we renew our mind. We need to fill our minds and renew our minds with God's word because we've lived for so long thinking on different things. And this is why I have to control the input that goes into my brain. And so I ask you, like, what do you fill your mind with on a regular basis? I have to guard my heart on what music I listen to. And so if you walk out of here and you think I said secular music is wrong, you're gravely mistaken. That's not what I'm going to say. I'm just speaking from where my temptations are. I have to guard listening to music where it talks about past relationships. And it kind of romanticizes those past relationships. Because I can find my mind drifting to think about past relationships and daydream about them. And it takes me to the place I want to go. I need to renew my mind with God's word. So I need to watch what goes in my mind. I need to watch the input here because it affects what comes out. The new man renews his mind. Verse 24, we see another characteristic of the new man. Put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true right, righteousness and holiness. So the new man puts on the new clothes. He's done with the old and with the new. He's living his life right now. He's going after the things of the Lord. He's pursuing what God says is right, what God says is true. He sets apart the old man. Here's the reality. When we, as we grow in Christ, when we try that old clothes on again, like, it just feels dirty. Like, you just, you, you know it more. We may like to revel in it, right? We may like to play around with it. But there comes a point where the Holy Spirit, it brings heavy conviction. We're like, I don't want this anymore. I'm a new man. I'm taking the, the old stuff on and I'm putting the new man on. I'm putting the new man on. So let me ask you this. Does this description fit you? Do you look like the new man? When people see you, do they see the righteousness of Christ? Do they see you living right? Do they see holiness in you? What does the word holiness mean? Well, when we say, God, you are holy, what we're saying is, God, you are, you are separate. You are set apart from creation. You are so different from us. Holy, that's all we can think of as holy. We have nothing greater to say than the fact that you are holy, separate, set apart from us. And God calls us to be holy as he is holy, which means we should be set apart from the rest of creation. 
We should look drastically different from the people of the world. So at your workplace, in your neighborhood, maybe even in your own family, do people see Christ in you? Now, they may not say, like, I see Christ in you, especially if they're not followers of Jesus and they don't get the whole church thing. They might not say that, but what they will notice is if you should be different. The older I get, the more I just see a difference. You can almost tell, like, I think that person's a believer because the way they carry themselves and the way they work, it's different. And people latch on to that. Like, hey, like, everybody else is screaming at the boss, but I see the way you're treating our boss, like, so kindly. What's different about you? We should be different. Do you look different from the things of this world? Well, as we, as we move into verse 25, there's a, a bit of a transition. So Paul started out talking about what the old man looks like. And then he reminded the saints in Ephesus that, hey, this is not what we learned in Christ. We learned that this is what you look like and describe the new man. And then he goes in now into some practices that we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about five practices for the new year for us to focus on. But make no mistake here. Uh, these aren't practices that we do in order to earn favor with God. We don't do these things, these practices. These aren't something that we do in order to earn salvation. He has already established that. Paul has already established that for us earlier in Ephesians. Just turn real quick to Ephesians 2, and we're going to look at verses 8 through 10 here, just to make sure we understand that we don't do these practices to earn God's favor. 2, 8, 9 says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. The truth is, we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, not by our good works. We have nothing to boast in. So we don't do these good works to boast. Rather, God's prepared them for us in that order we may walk in them. Look at verse 10. For we are his workmanship. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in in them. God does the work in us. He's creating a new man in us, and by his grace, he gives us some things to to go after. He gives us good works that we may walk in him. So look at verse 25, and what's the first word you see there? You see therefore, right? What do you do when you see a therefore? You ask what it's there for. There's your, your English lesson for the day. No more for, the, for me. All right, we see what is it, what is it there for. And, and what we see here is that because indeed you have learned Christ, here are practices that you are to put in place in your life. So here's some practices that we put in life. We're going to start with verse 25. Having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. So I love the way Paul puts it here because he kind of gives a negative view of what we're to do. He gives a positive view of what we do. And then he gives us the reason why. That's so helpful for me. Like sometimes, like you just need to know why. Why am I doing these things? And that's so helpful to us understand why. So the way we're going to put this is we're going to put off, put on, and give a why for each of these five practices. Here's practice number one. We're going to put off falsehood. We are called to put off falsehood. Put on truth. Why? Because we are members of one another. We're members of one another. 
tell the truth. So think about it this way. We are called to tell the truth to one another. Uh, One of the most common analogies in the Bible that talks about the church is that we are the body. So I want to think about your own personal body here for a second. Then we'll tie it in with the fact that we are the the body of Christ. So let's say uh, you're in Arizona because everybody, you know, you want to be in a warmer place right now. Some of you, I'd like to be in a warmer place. Let's say you're walking in Arizona and you come across uh, a rattlesnake. And your brain knows it's a rattlesnake. You know it's a rattlesnake, but you, you want to play a game with your hand. So you tell your hand, say, hands, that's just a cuddly little puppy. Just pick it up and, and pet it. That's crazy, right? Like, we wouldn't do that. But that's, that's exactly what we do when we speak falsely to one another. We're harming the body of Christ. We're harming our own bodies. And if they're not part of the body of Christ, then we're harming people that we want Jesus to rescue. Speak the truth to one another. But wait a minute, what, what if by telling the truth it might cost me something? Put off falsehood. But what if by telling the truth I might, I might lose my job? Put on the truth. What, what if I'm afraid they won't like me for telling the truth? We are members one of another. Be truthful to one another. Speak the truth. Obviously, we do it in love. We don't swing with the hammer, but we speak the truth in love to one another. Uh, practice number two is in verses 26 and 27. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Here, we are called to put off sustained anger. We're called to put on anger without sin. Why? So that we don't give the devil an opportunity. This is kind of a tricky one, isn't it? Like, we always want to justify why we're angry. Well, I'm angry because the Bible commands me to be angry. It says, be angry right there. Okay, let's take a look to see what does the passage say about anger here before we jump to too many conclusions. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. What is it saying there? Don't stay angry. You have to take care of that anger. If you don't, you're giving the devil an opportunity. You are providing an avenue for him to get into your life and wreak havoc in your life. We do not want to do that. We're going to go more in depth with anger because it talks about more later in, this, in, this, in verse 31. It actually says put off anger. It gives the devil an opportunity. We need to guard ourselves when it comes to anger. Here's number three. We see that in verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Put off stealing. Put on working. Why? To give, so we have something to give to those in need. This is pretty straightforward, you might say. Uh, If it's not yours, don't take it. But how many of you who work for an employer decide that you want to spend some time during work doing some leisurely things that you're not getting paid to do? I'm just going to hang out on social media for a while here. I need to get some Christmas shopping. The boss won't care. It's Christmas season. I don't need to, I don't need to worry about that. Is that not stealing? Put off stealing. Put on working hard. Do honest work with your own hands. So you have something to give to those in need. Maybe where you sit, you're taking advantage of others. You got a nice place to to sleep. You got a nice room. 
you're doing the minimum amount of work just so that you could pay rent maybe, and then you're just doing whatever you want to outside of that. Well, this, this is not what we learned in Christ. This isn't the way Christ lived. As believers in Jesus Christ, let's be the best employees that our works of employment have. Why? Because we're so affected by what Jesus did for us. And ultimately, who's our boss? All right, God's our boss. We work for him. We do let everything we do be done for his glory. Let's, let's, let's wreck Michiana with our hard work. And when we work hard, God's going to provide an opportunity for us to be able to help those in need. It's the Christmas season. Some of you will be giving gifts even this week. The the older I've gotten, the less I care about what I get and the more joy I find in just being able to give. Let's work hard so that we have something to be able to share with those in need. Put off stealing, put on working so that you can give to those in need. Here's practice number four. Verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. We want to put off corrupting words. We want to put on uplifting words. Why? We want to give grace to those who hear. We want to give grace to those who listen to us. So how is your speech with people? Uh, This makes me think of uh, our house. We've been at our house now for three years. And when we moved in, uh, there was a a water softener in the basement, but it wasn't hooked up. And I think it wasn't hooked up because there was a flood earlier in the year and they redid the whole basement and they just never hooked up the, the water softener. At least that's what we assumed. Well, so for three years, we haven't used one. And we live in Granger and the, and the water is super hard. And three years later, here we find our dishwasher was brand new. It looks, looks like it's 20 years old. Just crud all over it. And the dishes are coming out of the dishwasher with this, this white residue all over it. And isn't that what we do to people when we tear them apart with our words? When we don't speak uplifting words to help encourage, we cast this white like residue, we, we cast a shadow over people and look down on them, and then we begin to look at them that way. Well, when we got this, we got the water softener hooked up, it was like an overnight change. All of a sudden, we're noticing the dishwasher looks a lot cleaner. And now, after several weeks of, of this, our dishwasher looks like a brand new dishwasher. And the white residue is gone on our glasses. It's probably why some of you weren't invited to our house, because it was embarrassing. But, <laughs> but that's what happens when we are uplifting with our words, when we filter out our words and what we share, and we share words that give grace, give grace to those who hear. And doesn't that work for better, better for us anyway? <laughs> it works so much better when we're thinking about others, how we can lift them up. God calls us, and Paul is commanding us here to put off corrupting words, to put on uplifting words so that we can give grace to those who hear. But there's a far greater thing that we do when we tear apart people with our words. Look at verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. When we tear people apart with our words, when we don't lift up, when we don't give grace with our words, we grieve the Holy Spirit. So to help you understand, what does it mean that we grieve the Holy Spirit? Just think about it this way. You ever have somebody in your life who you see going down a path of disaster? And you warn them, you tell them, you can't do this. 
you can't do this, or maybe they're not doing things they should. Hey, you better do this or you're going to lose your job. And they just decide to be stubborn and do things their own way. And ultimately it leads to wrecking, making a wreck of their life. Does that not grieve you? Does that not give you like this deep sorrow that people would do that for you? Well, that's what we do to the Holy Spirit when we use our words to tear people apart. We want to use our words to build up. And why would we want to do that to the Holy Spirit? He's the one who has sealed us for our day of redemption. He is the one that is our promise that Jesus is coming back for us. Let's use our words to encourage and to build up. The last promise we see, or last uh, practice we see is in verses 31 and 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Well, this is what we want to do. We want to put off those things, bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, and malice. We want to put on kindness, tenderheartedness. That's a big word. Forgiveness. Why? Because God in Christ forgave us. So as you look at those words, those first six words there of what we are to put off, there's a progression there that happens when we don't deal with our anger. When we let the sun go down and we're still angry, there's a progression we see here. Those first three, bitterness, wrath, and anger, these are all things that are internal. These are all things that build up in us when we're, somebody crosses us the wrong way and, and all of a sudden we just get this like irritation in our hearts and we start, it starts to be some rage. Like I get rage when I come to roundabouts. <laughs> I love roundabouts. I think they're fantastic. And if you were here before the roundabouts came in Granger, it was a mess. But like, okay, <sighs> deep breath here. Let me, I'm going to give you a lesson on how to do turnabout, roundabouts, okay? It's not a stop necessarily, okay? It's a yield. That means slow down. If nobody's coming on your left, you stinking can go, okay? <sighs> I need my daughter here to correct me because she usually does correct me when I get off track. But you, you know what I'm saying? Like, that anger can build up. And if we don't take care of it, if, we don't under, if I don't understand the fact that I struggle with getting angry at roundabouts because people don't know how to drive them, then I can find myself getting angry as I get there and ready to roll down the window. Oh, wait, that's somebody that goes to church. Hey. <laughs> we have to guard ourselves against that. But these, are, these three things here are things that build up inside of us. And if we don't deal with those right away, it's going to become external, which is what we see in the last three. Clamor. What is clamor? I think of clamoring symbols, right? A loud noise. All of a sudden we start putting words towards the people that we're angry at. And we start raising our voices and, and using angry words out loud. But it gets worse. If we don't deal with that anger, then we want to get other people involved, right? So we start slandering. We start mal saying malicious things to others. Hey, did you hear what so-and-so did to me? Can you believe they would do that? And we're pulling people into something they have no business being a part of. Uh, it's one reason why I love our church process and the membership. And we say, we have no room here for gossip. And that's what happens, though, when we don't control our anger. We start pulling p other people in. And we want to make enemies of that person. We want people to join us in our anger. But it gets worse than that. Malice. What is malice? Well, this is an insatiable desire to cause pain. 
if we don't control our anger, don't, don't think that you can't go down this path. Where all of a sudden now, things get a little bit more physical. Maybe they even get violent. And sadly, often it can lead to murder. Do you see how this gives the devil an opportunity when we hold on to our anger? But you don't understand. Do you know who I'm married to? Do you know who my mom is? Do you know who my father is? Do you know who my siblings are, who my boss is, who my teacher is? And to that, I'd, I'd probably say I don't. And I'd probably have some sympathy for you if you were to share a story and find some, some people in here have experienced some tragically awful things and I can't relate to the trouble that you experience and I can understand your anger, but I also have to be faithful to God's word. You give the devil an opportunity when you allow anger to fester in you. But here's where I do know to take you. I do know someone who has experienced what you've experienced. The scripture says he was tempted in every way, yet he was without sin. That's Jesus. Put on kindness. Be tenderhearted to those who sin against you. Why? Because you realize how much God has forgiven you. Why do we put forgiveness on? Because God in Christ forgave you. The reality is, our sin against Christ, it's far worse than anybody else's sin against us. Jesus was the perfect one. He didn't deserve anything to happen to him. He paid the price for our sin that we might be made right with you. If we have an anger problem, we have a gospel problem. Because we can't hold on to bitterness and say that we claim the forgiveness of Christ. It's as if we are looking at people who are angry and saying, you're not worthy of God's forgiveness, but I am. That's what happens. So, so let me just remind you anew and afresh this morning, believers in Christ. Jesus came as a baby. He lived a perfect life, was tempted in every way, and yet he suffered a brutal death because of our sin. And he did that so that we may be able to be made right with him. We need to preach that message to ourselves every day. Every day we are tempted to forget God's forgiveness for us. And when we forget his forgiveness for us, that's what leads to harbor bitterness. And so believer, if you are struggling with anger this morning, God's word is calling you to cast it aside. You're giving the devil an opportunity. Be angry at the sin, but pray for the person. Ask God to change the person. Don't be angry at the person. God has done so much for you. And if, if you stand here today, you sit here today, you're the old man. There's no real change in your life that's happened. And you're, maybe you're even feeling the conviction of your sin. Maybe you feel like you're not good enough. Here's the reality, you're not good enough. None of us are. And that's why Jesus came. He came to die to make a way for you to be made right with him. And if you have more questions about that, there'll be elders and pastors up front here afterwards who would love to share the good news of Jesus with you more. But remember God's forgiveness for you. Let that change the way you live in 2019. Let me pray. God, thank you for your word. 
that you give us instructions. You don't leave us on our own. You don't leave us guessing what we're supposed to do. And Lord, you give us motivation, why? God, I pray that each and every one of us would look at these five practices, that that we would look to walk in the good works that you've prepared for, for us in advance. But remind us that we don't do these things to earn salvation or to make you love us more. Lord, you, you love us more than we could ever know at the point of our salvation. So God, I pray that you would rekindle the hearts of those who have grown cold. I pray that you would be with those who are dealing with anger, that they would be able to cast it off. Thank you for the gospel of Jesus. Thank you for coming and rescuing us. Lord, change us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Why don't you stand and sing this?